We're here to inspire, inform, and connect entrepreneurs and high achievers. Welcome to Results Radio with the number one results coach in the country, Sean Shuchuk. Sean is as focused on your results as you are. Visit our website at www.yourresultsradio.com and take advantage of the free tips and gifts. Plus, get your copy of the best-selling results journal developed by the number one results coach in the country. With you in mind, it is the most powerful achievement tool used by high achievers today. Here is the host of Results Radio, Sean Shuchuk. Hello, everybody. It's Sean Shuchuk here. We are back with another installment of our Big Results interview series. You know, we've done a lot, uh, a lot of interviews over the last uh, three or four months, and the response has been overwhelming. We've had some amazing uh, guests on the shows. We've had some great information. I have received um, numerous emails over the last probably uh, three or four weeks uh, thanking us. Some of the folks we've been uh, interviewed uh, have received a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, praise and, uh, and gratitude. We have also uh, seen a lot of folks, a lot of you going on to uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter, and, and posting uh, during, after, and after the, the interviews. Today, I've got somebody really special we're going to have a conversation with for the next few minutes. Um, I think it's one of those, today's one of those days where I, I really am going to suggest you uh, pick up a pen and a piece of paper and make some notes because I, the message that I think we're going to hear today is something that I think every single one of us needs to uh, not only hear but listen to, internalize, and uh, utilize as a reference for our lives. I think it's so important. It really doesn't matter if you're in business for yourself, if you maybe have of a job or career, or you, you're on the verge of maybe taking that leap and becoming an entrepreneur. Um, the, the information that we're going to talk about today and that our guest is going to share with us is something that you're going to need, and I think it's applicable to every single one of us. Scott Fay is a student, practitioner, and teacher of leadership and business practices. His content is hewn from the experience of acquiring more than a dozen failing landscape and irrigation companies and rolling them into two industry-leading, award-winning organizations. Besides speaking and training internationally, Scott serves as Executive Vice President of the John Maxwell team. Scott is also the author of Discover Your Sweet Spot. Scott, how are you today? Doing fantastic, Sean. Thanks for having me on your program. Great to be Thank with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's truly a treat, and it's very, uh, very much an honor to have the conversation with you. I know that your book came out um, a little while ago, um, and I wanted to have a quick conversation with you. And of course, we'll talk a little bit about the book too. But um, I've had the the privilege to uh, to look at the book and uh, spend some time on it. And I just want to throw some questions at you and uh, and and see what you have to say if you're good with that. Oh, absolutely! Fire away, my friend. Please, oh, thank you very much. Please, let me ask you this. What's a sweet spot? Well, you know, I think everybody, almost everyone, has experienced it in one form or another. Uh, the best way I can describe it is for those of you who have ever connected with a ball, with a baseball bat, a golf club, or a tennis racket. Uh, it turns out there's a lot of other ways to experience it. But, but, Sean, have you ever connected on the bat or the club or the tennis racket or a hockey stick on the sweet spot. Do you, do you know what I mean by that? 
I do, as a matter of fact. <laughs> you know, it, it has a special sound. When, when you connect, it has a, it's just a, a special, and sometimes it's a, a ping, sometimes it's a twang, sometimes it's that hollow you know, sound, but it, it's got a special, when you hit the ball in the right spot, the sweet spot, it has a special sound, it has a special feel. You don't even have to look. You, you absolutely know where that ball is going. And, and here's the exciting part about connecting in the sweet spot is you get extraordinary results with significantly less effort. I'll never forget the very first time as a kid, I connected on the sweet spot of the bat. We were playing baseball and I connected, man. And as soon as I did, I had that experience I just described to you, had that sound, had that feel. And as a kid, I knew, I knew that ball was going. And I'll never forget as I'm rounding first and looking off to my right, watching the kids climbing over the fence. And, and I'm thinking, wow, was that me? Did, did I just do that? You know, uh, you get extraordinary results with significantly less effort. And go ahead. I, I mean, it's, it's Oh, that, no, thank you. That, that's fantastic. I, that's Great, great information. Thank you for that. Um, I want to come back to that in a minute, but first I'd like to ask you this. What prompted you to write the book? Well, a, a lot of things, but you know, as a serial entrepreneur myself, often people will say things like, hey, can we get together? I just, and then the phrase, and you probably get this too, is I want to just pick your brain. <laughs> so Absolutely. We, I, I, we, we get together, and for many people, it's, they're not even sure what questions to ask. And, and, and they know they want to do something, and they want to do something extraordinary, uh, but, but they don't even know where to begin. And, and so I come at it a little differently. Instead of just identifying a product or a service or just going after an occupation, I come from a place of, that, that you really ought to work from your sweet spot. And so it became a passion. For me, my sweet spot showed up very early in my life, and I talk about the book. I mean, from fourth, well, it goes all the way back to playing with trucks and tractors in, in a sandbox when I'm four, and when I'm eight, I sell bubble gum. And, 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 and my point is, I believe that the scripting is happening as you develop, but we don't take the time to think about it. If we're good in math, we assume that we should be an accountant. We go off, we get to college, we get our, our degrees, we get our license, we become a CPA sit in a room only to find out that we hate to be inside and, and we certainly are not motivated by just crunching numbers all day. Now, I'm not saying everybody, I'm just saying that's a, a typical track. In fact, I've met many accountants who really don't like what they do. They're just good at it. And I agree with you. You I know, think, I, I want to, I'm going to, and I know I'm interviewing you, but I want to interject something. I, I had a gentleman come <laughs> to me at 65 years old. It makes your point, Scott. I had a gentleman come to me about three or four weeks ago at 65 and he said, you know, Sean, in a week, I'm retiring, and I get to do something I want to do. And I asked him the question, of course, are you yeah. telling me whether for the last 40 years you've been doing something you didn't want to do? And yeah. he fell silent. He said, yeah, you're right. I never thought about it. Like wow. That. Wow. So you know, that makes your point, and it's, thank you for that. That's awesome. Well, you know, just not to belabor it, but isn't it a shame that that happens? And in many cases, when people stop doing what they've always done, then their health deteriorates and very rapidly they leave this planet only to have spent their whole life doing something they want to do. So it's, it, it's really important. That's what's, prompted, that's what's prompted my desire to write the book. Thank you for that. Wonderful. In the book, you talk about a system, and you call it the sweet spot system, and that's kind of a, a tongue twister. 
first yes. of all, what is the sweet spot system? And as of course, you know, you alluded to accounting. So as most processes or most systems, there are processes or components. What are the components of the sweet spot system? Well, from 30,000 feet, it's an overview that the whole book is really taking what I've been doing for a living, you know, my career, even since a kid uh, in, the, in the area of landscape, because it's a great word picture. The system is really built around the idea of what we do in landscape, where we design and then we build and then we maintain incredible environments, but they're environments of purpose. We, we don't just stick plants in the ground and just happen to put hardscapes together. There really is, there's a plan, there's an outcome, there's a purpose to all of that. And so if we would just give the same attention to our own life, the same intentionality to our own life that we would give to our backyard, the results that we can get are amazing. And that whole idea that we can get significantly greater results or we get extraordinary results with significantly less effort when we – so so the system is about design, build, and maintain. And then, and then we go deeper and we, we talk about all that's involved with design because there's quite a process there. And then we build landscape and there's a process there and in our own lives – we start with the design, you start with the why, you understand your purpose, you understand your passion, you, you develop this plan, and, and we can talk more about that as time allows, and then you build it, and there's a great degree of, of, of work that, and effort and excitement, I might add, that goes with designing and building. You know, that's the exciting part. But the, but the, real, the real secret is it's, it's not there. I mean, it, you have to start there. It all's well that begins well, and you have to begin with the end in mind, and all those things that we know are true. And we put a great deal of effort in and get excited about picking out what we want, choosing and designing. And we build it, and it's fresh and it's new. But then this third phase, which is so important, this idea of maintenance. And in landscape, it's in the maintenance that our, our entire investment of time and energy and resources to build the landscape comes to fruition. It's when the turf becomes healthy and the plant material begins to bud and blossom. It's when trees begin to bear fruit. It's in the maintenance process. But, but maintenance is, for most people, it's ho-hum, it's drum, it's the same thing over and over. You cut the grass, you trim the bushes, you fertilize the plants, you make sure they get enough water and all of that. And it's what we call in our life, it's our... It's our habits. It's our routine. One of the word pictures I love to use is if you look, you go all over the world, wherever the Olympics have been, and we just encountered another really extraordinary set of games in this, these Winter Olympics. But they build these great big stadiums and facilities, and a lot of thought goes into the design. And a tremendous amount of money and effort goes into building it. And then the Olympics come in for a couple of weeks, and then they're gone, and, and then there's no maintenance. And we have facilities all over the world Olympic swimming pools that are magnificent, that are full of frogs and tadpoles and, and stadiums that are crumbling because they're all because they're not being maintained. And a lot of times in our life, we start out really well and we go to college and we do these things and, or in a marriage, you get all excited about the wedding and the event and, and you start this family, but things fall apart when you don't maintain it. So the system is about design and then build and then maintain. And then we, we break it down from there. That's a phenomenal analogy, and I think it's so awesome. And really, when I, when I read this in the book, it really resonated with me because, you know, I'm, I'm a farm boy. I grew up on a farm. So when you start talking uh, about some of the things you allude to in the book uh, in reference to landscaping or plants or whatever the case may be, you know, it's, it's – uh, 
it speaks to, uh, you know, maybe I'm a simple guy, but it speaks to me. And uh, what you said about, you know, in your reference relationships and you referenced, you know, for example, the Olympics. I, I'm For those listening right now I, that know me, um, I'm fortunate enough to live in a city where in 1988, 1988 we had the Winter Olympics and we have a phenomenal facility that one of the few that's well-maintained. <clears throat> you talk about building a leadership environment. Yeah. Um, please share with us what, what is that? How, how do we go about starting to build a leadership environment? Well, again, you know, uh, to, to echo your phrase, you know, I'm a simple guy. When I talk about building an environment, I just have a, a real belief, solid, deep belief that the environment can either be conducive to a purpose or it could be destructive to a purpose. If, if you take an acorn, for example, and you place it in a safe, controlled environment, like a, a shelf in your house, it may be safe and controlled and predictable, but it's not conducive to the acorn. And 10 or 12 years later, or to however many years later, it, it at best will still be an acorn. If not, it'll have dried and begin to deteriorate. But, but think about this, Sean, you, you take that same acorn and put it in an environment that's not not an environment that's perfect by other people's standards, but an environment that's conducive to the acorn, which is dirt, mud, water, and the sun beating down, and the rains coming, and and animals coming by and doing um, certain things on top of it, if you know what I'm saying. Um, and uh, so th- that there's nutrients, and there's fertilizer, and there's sand, and there's soil, and there's sun, and there's water. An environment that's not safe, controlled, and protected, but it's but it's conducive to the unfolding of the purpose of the acorn. That that acorn grows into a mighty oak tree. And if you want to be a leader yourself, and a leader that has incredible influence, and you want to lead leaders, you don't want to just lead followers. And if you're going to lead leaders, you've got to create an environment that's conducive to leadership. And so I believe it's it's our duty in and our privilege, it's our opportunity to, to provide a wholesome, a growth environment for leadership. But, and, and I do that, so let, let's get specific. I, I do that with this idea that you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink, but you can salt the tongue of the, or you can salt the tongue of the horse, you can salt the oats, right? You can make the horse. And so this environment that I, I, I believe it, it, it involves encouraging and making it possible for people to grow. I, I, I pay people to read books. And even though I'm, I'm a public speaker in my own right, I bring in public speakers to speak to my team of the companies that I own because they need to hear another voice, because they need to have this leadership environment. Uh, I, I nurture and, and encourage leaders to to lead and, and, and I give them the opportunity to fail. You know, I mean, sometimes a leadership, we don't want people to fail, so we micromanage them and we keep them in a tight box. And it's that perfect controlled environment, but it doesn't allow them to grow up to, the, to become the mighty leader that they can become. So that's what I mean by a leadership environment. Make it a that's, place where there is all things necessary for their unfoldment. That's, that's fantastic. I love the line where you said, lead leaders, not followers. I think that's mm. so important. I think perhaps folks tend to overlook that from time to time because when we're taught, I think this, you know, the, the stereotypical leadership is why do people follow you? And then perhaps there's a, that's a, it's a great question. But when we talk about leading leaders, I think that's, that's fantastic. 
This is something I speak about a lot and, and I believe is very important. In the book, you talk about engagement. And I'm not talking about, about engagement to get married either. But how, how, how do you, like, being engaged, how does that play into our lives, our careers, or businesses? Well, you're doing it right now, Sean. You, you're providing, again, this environment, this, this place where people can be engaged. You're engaging me in conversation. And you're engaging me in conversation by asking questions. So for one, to engage people, uh, it, it starts with asking questions. And a little sidebar to that is the quality of the questions. We all know this, but, but it bears repeating. The quality of the questions are always determined by the quality. I mean, the quality answers are always determined by the quality of the questions we ask. And so to engage people, it's, it's, it's a lot less telling and it's a lot more asking. And you're asking these, these questions, and I'm responding, and you're engaging me. And, and because we have been kind of brought up through our classical or traditional schooling kind of system, we assume it's as leaders we are to tell people. But, but true engagement is when we ask. And again, we give people the space to, to explore, the space to be curious, the space to fail, if you will, or to try different things. Oh, for pity's sakes, what, what would happen if we just let people try something? Maybe they would come up with something better than what we had to begin with, and probably they, they will. But, but at least they will they'll learn so much more. And so uh, to me, engage, engaging people is giving them the space. Uh, and if I can, I would just like to back all the way up to a basic belief that I have, and that is that to live in your sweet spot, one of the first things you have to do is discover your purpose. That's knowing who you're designed to be. It's your DNA. I think once you figure out who you're designed to be, then you can follow your passions. That's what you love to do. And then you'll leave that together with a plan. But if I could, just for one second, if you would just, if everyone would just consider their purpose, it, it, it's kind of like this. We could find a strand of hair on the floor and we would pick it up and we would, maybe if it was black, we would call that a black hair. That's what we call it. But have you ever thought about the fact that that's a strand of, of, of DNA coding. What I mean by that is it's so specific that that strand of what we call black hair can be ascribed to one person and, and only one person out of the seven billion people that live on this blue rock. So it's not a, it's not a black hair. That's a strand of DNA coding. Now, I'm a person of faith, and, and so it kind of comes through in, in what I see. But I happen to believe my, my map of the world is that that if God put that much DNA in a strand of hair, or, or whatever your framework is to understand where that DNA comes from, I, I, I'm not here to debate or promote or, or whatever that, but the idea is if there's that much DNA in a strand of hair, how much DNA do you think is in your person, your personality, your personhood, or your purpose? So I think it, it all, every, everything kind of goes back. So when you engage somebody or you do what we do or you create this environment for leadership, it, it's got to start, I think, with a, I believe, with an understanding of who you are and who the people around you are. And as we, as we embark then in great projects and, and great businesses and great ventures, that, that we then surround ourselves with people who believe like we believe for that project doesn't mean that they believe everything like we, but, but for that project, they believe what we believe, and then they think different thoughts. 
And see, so all of that keeps going back to this very fundamental question of who am I? What is my purpose? I think it all starts right there. That's profound. Thank you. That, that, uh, that's life-changing information. November 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2017 is going to change the way you see entrepreneurship, business, and wealth forever. Three days, world-renowned celebrity speakers and teachers, the best minds in the world. Mark it on your calendar. Here's a hint. It's all happening in sunny San Diego, California. Keep listening for more major surprises. What would being a best-selling author do for you and your business? Massive credibility, your brand launchpad, celebrity. Over two-thirds of Americans want to write a book. Get yours published now and distribute it around the world. More exposure means more prospects. More prospects means more clients. Even better, you don't have to do it all alone. You've got the leading publishing and marketing team doing it with you. At Results Press, it's easier than you dreamed. Visit us today at theresultspress.com. Chapter six uh, is entitled, of your book, is entitled, Maintain the Main Thing. What's the main thing and why do I have to maintain it? One of my greatest mentors, who I miss him, I miss him greatly. He, he passed away a couple of years ago at the young age of 92. He was young for him, old for most people, but it was young for him. And he had great wisdom and he said, set your sights on the highest mountain you can see. When you get there, you'll go, you, you, you'll get, you, you'll go a lot further. You'll see a lot further, but set your sights on, on the highest mountain you can see. And, and when you set your sights on the highest mountain you can see, <clears throat> It, it, it's that big purpose. It's that. It's what Napoleon Hill talks about in Think and Grow Rich when he says successful people, they, they, they can make their decisions quickly and easily and seldom have ever changed their mind because they know what the main things are. They, they've made the big decisions early. It's it, how we get there might change the path. If you could just picture in your mind's eye, this big mountain, and there are several ways to get there, but, but we know this for sure that there are ways to get there and then there are ways that would lead us away from that point. And, and I'm not so much concerned about how you get to that mountain, nor should you be over consumed with concern with how you get there. But when a choice comes to your, across your pathway, an opportunity, we call it, and you'll hear people say, well, well, Sean, should I, or shouldn't I? I mean, this looks so good. And some people say I should, some people say I shouldn't. And, and as a friend of mine says, we should all over ourselves because we're just worried about what we should do. But, but the question isn't, you know, should I or should I? Is it right or wrong? Is it good or bad? The question is, does it lead me in the direction? Is it taking me to that highest calling or does it take me away? Some things will take us further from that desired outcome and it should be a no. It might be, a, Jim Collins says good keeps us from being great. So the main thing Again, it's not a generic main thing for everybody on this planet. I think the main thing is a main thing for you. It's a main thing for me. And it really comes down to knowing, again, now when we move from purpose and we blend in this passion, because it's not just a duty, it's then what moves you, what makes you laugh, what makes you sing, and what makes you cry. Because you could be involved in a really great project, and that might be the highest mountain for you. And I look at that and say, man, that's a great mountain. Sean, I want that mountain too, because that's a noble mountain. But, but if there's no passion on my part, if it's not really my mountain, then there's going to come a point where the climb is going to be too steep. 
the work is going to be too hard, the load's going to be too heavy, and I'm just going to disengage at that point. But if it's my mountain, if it's really my mountain, there is not a wall tall enough to keep me from climbing over. There's not a troop big enough to keep me from pushing through. I'm going to go for my mountain. That's the main thing. All right. That's that's awesome. Thank you for that. I want to... Uh Scott, talk about something here. We've been taught or told as we grew up, perhaps conditioning, I'm not sure, uh, societal norms maybe, that we shouldn't worry about the small stuff. And you say <laughs> in the book, sweat the small stuff. Yeah. So uh, w- which direction do we go? Well, here's the thing. You know, th- there's no time for pettiness. So if, if it's truly petty, there's a difference between small things and petty things. And, and only you can know that difference for you. But just consider this. If you are on this hike to this tall mountain, and if you get a tiny pebble in your shoe, that tiny pebble could cause a blister. And left un, unattended to, the blister could get an infection. And that left unattended to, you could lose the foot. If you lose your foot, you're not going to be able to hike to the top of the mountain. So you have to know, is, is, is it just something that's petty that really, in the big scheme of things, doesn't matter? Or is it a stone in the shoe? I have a good friend who says, I make big things out of little things so that little things don't become big things. <laughs> because there are things that could grow into something that would take us away from what we're called to do. Listen, we're all, we're, we're, we're all surrounded with people that have idiosyncrasies, we call them, little, little characteristics. And, and some of those things, they might get on your nerves, but are they really going to stop you from going where you want to go? I mean, be real. Can, can you just be big enough to let people be people and, and realize that you know, you're, you're not perfect and, and neither will the people around us be perfect? But if there are things that are coming in the way of getting the results that are required to get to the goal that you need, then that's a different issue. Or it could be a habit. And and this is what I think is is really the big idea with sweat the small stuff. I wouldn't, in in the landscape environment, I'm not nearly concerned about what's going on at the neighbor to the left and the neighbor to the right and the neighbor across the street when I do a landscape project. But I tell you what, I'm extremely concerned about the details in the project that's in front of me to do. And so the analogy I use in the book is the first thing that we do when we go in and we start working on a site, this is in the build the process, is we remove the un- unwanted things on that site, obstacles. If there's unwanted trees or boulders or hardscapes, right down to the very fact that we re- remove the weeds. Because if we don't remove those things, little saplings, little, little trees, whatever it is, they'll become mighty things. They'll become big things and they'll destroy the very thing we're building. So I think that the acid test here is, you know, don't be petty. Petty to me is what's happening with other people. Small things that could turn into big things are people that are things that are happening in our life that we can affect. If, if I could just share one more thing. Of course. A problem isn't a problem unless it's something you can do, there's something you can do to fix it. If it's not something you can do to fix it, it's just a situation. And I see a lot of people getting all concerned about situations, but there's nothing they can do. And it becomes a distraction, and they, and they spend a lot of time and resources and energy and, and, and draw from the things that, that, that they need for the really important things, and, and that's being petty. But I need to give full attention to the things that I can change. Thank I you for that. I, I heard a twist. Sorry, Scott. 
I heard a twist on that the other day. If if you have a problem that money can fix, it's not a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a perfect example. That's one way to go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have a loaded question for you. You oh, talk about personal. <laughs> you talk about personal growth. Yeah. Why is why is that so important? Well, you know, I Jim Rohn said that, that I may have already quoted this because this is one of my favorite quotes from from one of uh, uh, from a great thinker who just passed away not too long ago. Jim Rohn said, Indeed. "If you want to do, be, or have more, you've got to become more." And and, and we know. Here's an interesting thing, Sean. I don't know if you've ever considered this. You probably have. You probably taught this, but. Our current reality is the result of our very best thinking. Because if you, if you had better, if, let me put it in the first place, in the, in the first person. If I had better thinking, I would be even in a better place. Now, I love the place I'm in and all that. But, but my, where I currently am, however you want to describe it, however you want to quantify it, is a result of my very best thinking. And as much as I love where I am and what I get to do and who I get to do that with and all the things, all the blessings that are in my life, I, I like you, and I think everyone listen, we, we are built, designed to, to want to become more. And if I'm going to become more, I've got to, I've got to have a better understanding. There are some things that I, that I think right now that are actually could, <laughs> certainly could be approved on, and some of those things are, are wrong thinking because they're limiting me from going to the next level. So it's a little philosophical, or maybe it's very philosophical, but, but growth, growth is, is it, it, it's, it really comes down to the question, do you want to do, be, or have more? If, if not, there's really no need to grow. But if you want to do, be, or have more, you've got to become more. And that becomes the impetus for growth. Absolutely. What's a mid-course correction? Well, you know, going back to the analogy, I'm a word picture guy, and if we're heading for that mountain, uh, that highest peak that we've set our sights on, and we've determined a course, and, and, but there are times when we come up against something that's totally unexpected. And, and in the practical, uh, you know, in landscape, I'll give you a perfect, we were working on a magnificent project down in South Florida right now. And last month, we, as we were excavating, we came across this huge uh, old foundation that nobody knew was there. It was just, just barely under the surface. And when we began to dig it, 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 it's turned into a big mess. So we had to stop the project and that whole thing had to be excavated out so that we could carry on. It was a mid-course correction. It wasn't in the plans. It wasn't in the bid. It wasn't something that we anticipated. In life, we're going along. We can have the greatest intentions. We can have our goal card, our vision board. We can have our sights set on the highest mountain we can see. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's really good things, and sometimes it's, it's what we perceive to be really bad things, but things come into our life. A little sidebar is I believe that everything comes into our life. It's our choice. It's either it, it's a blessing or a curse, and we can decide. We can choose how we use it. But, but things come into our lives. And, and we have to make a mid-course correction. I like to call those critical moments. And, and, and I like to ask, who am I in those critical moments? And sometimes it's a critical moment of opportunity. Sometimes it's a critical moment of a problem. Sometimes it's a, a, a critical moment when, um, you know, our 
health falls apart or, or whatever, but these are mid-course corrections. Mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting about mid-course corrections is, is, is what we view sometimes to be an obstacle can really become a, a huge blessing in our life that will just make us better than ever before. And, and that may sound a little fluffy and, a, a, you know, kind of, kind of foo-foo, but I, if we had more time, we could develop that thought even further. <laughs> Listen, I really appreciate you coming on. And we'll get to something here I want to talk about just for a brief moment. But one final word, perhaps, for, for all the folks that are listening in today to this f- fantastic conversation we've had. I think most of us, most of us, Sean, have, have a, a, a bit of a desire and have been convinced that however you describe success, however, you, you know, whatever that looks like, that that's the ultimate goal is to be what we call successful. And, and, and my closing thought, because I, I talked about these are seven steps to create a life of success and significance. I just want to plant this seed. It's really worthy of a much longer conversation. but. Success is simply the rungs in the ladder for significance. When, when we just work to be successful, we, our, lives is full of, our lives are full of busyness. You have to be busy to, so many times to create success. But success is, is so much different than significance. Success is, is a, a result often of, of our work and our effort. And significance is when we get to the point where we're giving back. I learned a long time ago there's really three seasons of life. You learn and then you earn and you return. And we're, we're kind of scripted and we're, are, we have this innate desire to give back. But we've got to, we, we can't give out of emptiness. We've, we've got to get there. So my, my parting thoughts, I guess, is that go ahead and be successful. Be the best you can be. Follow that, that gifting and that, the skill sets you have. But, but don't misunderstand that for success. It's significance is it's when we give back, when we pour into others, when we, we, we've earned the right to speak truth into people's lives because of the life we've lived. lived. Live a life that's integrous. Live a life that's congruent. Live a life that is worthy of following. And then you can pour into others and that's significance. And man, there's nothing better in all the world. So true. Listen, I know there are a lot of folks listening right now that want to get a copy of your book. Where can they get it? Where can they find it? Well, uh, you know, the, the regular outlets, uh, especially online, Amazon and Barnes & Noble mm-hmm. uh, have it online. I, I think it's, you know, that's a great way to go. Some, some Barnes & Noble have it, and some of the big bookstores have it. If they don't have it, they can get it. But uh, online is a great way to go. Uh, you can reach me on my website, which is scottfay.com. Uh, there's other things that we have. We, we've actually, we also have a, uh, a mastermind guide that we've now made a, available for many people are using the book as a, as a, a book study. And we have a mastermind guide, a, a host a leadership guide, and a participant guide. And those resources are available, downloadable at no charge on my website. So those things are available at scottfay.com. Well, I want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining me today. This has been fantastic. The information that you've shared with us is absolutely amazing. It's phenomenal. And I really believe that uh, for those listening, this is uh, probably one of the best calls I think we've ever had where we've had a conversation like this. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to doing this again. Sean, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed our conversation, and I thank you for the opportunity, my friend. God bless you.
for joining us today on Results Radio. Every show, we bring you the very best guests that share with you their experiences and expertise. Do whatever you have to do to join us for our next show. And visit us today at yourresultsradio.com. While you're there, get your copy of the Results Journal.